Okay, welcome to Project Echo University of Melbourne Hub Adolescent Mental Health Network Series 2, Session 3. And I'd like to acknowledge the support of the Victorian Government for the production of this series. It's Tuesday, the 24th of August, 2021. Welcome back to the Adolescent Mental Health Echo. This session is titled, Is It Borderline Personality Disorder? The Importance of Early Recognition. In our last session, we explored the common presentation of self-harm and discussed some of the dilemmas that clinicians face when working with teens expressing maladaptive behaviours in response to distress. This perhaps foregrounds this next theme quite well, as for many, this behaviour may be self-limiting and easily treated, while for others, it might be the first presentations of a more complex suite of difficulties for a young person. And we might find ourselves asking the question, is this borderline personality disorder? In this session, Sandra will describe why early recognition and assessment alongside the relevant criteria for BPD is important and how this can guide our interventions with these kids. And we'll put some of these principles into practice through our case-based discussion. So why the importance of recognition and early early intervention? I was going to say detection, but early intervention as well as detection. It's because the literature tells us that the outcomes for these young people into into adult life is actually much, much poorer with with a reduction in life expectancy, with tenfold increase in mortality. And there are therefore both short-term and longer-term adverse outcomes that we would like to be able to have an impact. Um, And this is true for those young people who actually meet the threshold for a diagnosis of BPD, but also young people who might be thought of as sub-threshold from the point of view of the DSM criteria. So uh, the impact is a widespread impact in all of those areas that you see in the blue circles of the impact on families and carers, vocational, educational impact, mental health and health impacts, and of course, the challenges of recurrent self-harm and all of that, what does that mean for this young person's functioning? Uh, This is a great little image of looking at all the areas that may be areas of, um, or that may be problematic for a young person. And the image is that of what I would say, probably a young woman, because indeed, this is more likely to be a diagnosis in young women, less so in young men. And the little ticking medallion, the ticking clock, says that when we meet young people who have some of these difficulties and if we're able to provide appropriate intervention early, then our aim is indeed to change the trajectory from what might be more entrenched maladaptive coping strategies to things that are more adaptive and better better ways of managing distress for young people. But the trick is, of all the things that young people present to you, especially all of you in a school setting, all kinds of difficulties, how do we begin to pick out the different bits that might be red flags that are suggesting a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and they are the things that were highlighted earlier. And, you know, here we go. Let's, let's pick that 
fear of abandonment, the unstable relationship, extreme mood swings, the self-harming behaviour, the chronic feelings of emptiness, the sometimes suspiciousness and or frank paranoia about the motives of others or uh, being quite dissociative, the unstable sense of self and self-image and the destructive and impulsive and risky behaviours. Now, the bit that makes this tricky is you're dealing with young people. You're dealing with adolescents. And some of these things are not yet quite sorted for adolescents. Um, this is just a reminder that this is exactly what DSM sets out, those things that we have just been talking about, and put some, um, you know, some metrics around it and says that if a young person endorses five or more of those nine areas that we've just talked about, then that means they meet threshold for a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. But if they endorse four or three or even two, it is still significant. And we want to be able to think about how we help young people in those areas that they find difficult. Another thing that I think is good practice when we're talking about this area is indeed to document so which are the five or four or three areas that this particular young person says, yes, this is me, this is a problem that I have. So we know even if you um, were to make a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, then actually documenting and saying in this young person, these are the five or four areas of difficulty. I think that's good practice and it's a good way of communicating to others specifically what are the issues for this person. Now, there are screening instruments and, again, we have to uh, remind ourselves that screening instruments are not diagnostic. They're screening. They help us potentially... Um, not forget areas. They help us remember to ask young, young people about different parts of their life or their internal world. They point to areas potentially of intervention, of where we might need to do something or where we might um, see that a young person needs some help. The McLean screening instrument here, and there are the, the 10 questions, that is used, to my understanding, I think that it is mainly designed as an adult screener. Um, uh, but still, you know, you could ask young people these questions and see how they go answering them. Now, I've also brought up, this is uh, a set of questions. It, it's not an instrument as such. It's a set of questions, screening questions, that at origin the Hype Clinic um, uses. So they will ask young people these questions and see um, how many do they say yes to, and not just saying yes, but actually following it up a little bit more uh, and finding out um, more about this when a young person says says yes to any of these questions it's an opportunity to get them to tell you 
a bit more. And you can see that some of these things are going to be a bit tricky for some of the young people that you see, even things like have you um, had sudden changes in your sense of self of who you are and where you're headed, question number three. Well, teenagers have not really sorted out where they're headed necessarily, um, and so they might be saying yes. So important to sort of follow that up. Or does your sense of who you are often change dramatically? Again, if they say yes, what are they thinking of? What are they meaning? Um, or have you had sudden changes in goals, career plans, religious beliefs, other areas of your life? The point is to use them as a way of inquiring into these areas and trying to see has the young person actually understood these questions in the way they were intended? Um, and, of course, here is how you end up suddenly on the wrong tram if a young person has said yes, but they've misunderstood these questions. I think, again, for all of you who are dealing with a young population, and I think, you know, you're starting with 12 and up, um, it might be handy to when you have young people, for example, who come to you who self-harm, to run them through these questions, to ask these questions of them. Another a reason for doing that is you get to have a sense of how does your population respond? Like what, what's the, what's the, um, the, how do generally young people respond? And so you'll probably find that there are a whole lot of young people who are very clearly saying, no, 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 no. And then you get the young people who puzzle over it a bit. And then, the, and then you get the young people who clearly say yes and endorse some of these questions. It's sort of like your own barometer, if you like, for your school population. An important area when we're thinking about borderline personality disorder is to think about the differentials because we can miss important things and too quickly foreclose on a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. It seems to me lately the big one is undiagnosed ASD in adolescent girls that I have now seen a number of young people who have come to origin, young girls, where the diagnosis uh, upon first screening would appear to be BPD and then when people have looked a little bit further, actually they've begun to question does this young person have ASD? Um, so I think remember very much undiagnosed ASD. PTSD should be a little more straightforward. There is a very definite trauma that is related to the symptoms or the distress that a young person has. Again, straightforward anxiety, again, should be relatively simple to distinguish. The mood disorders get a bit trickier, uh, whether it is bipolar disorder or depression, because young people with um, uh, BPD will indeed endorse lots of, of problems with their mood, and it requires a bit more um, 
checking it out. When we're thinking about bipolar disorder, that those we're looking at something that is episodic. There are discrete periods of elevated mood that might be associated with impulsivity or some disinhibited kind of behaviours or irritability, and then it goes away, whereas that is not what we're seeing with BPD. And substance misuse, of course, confounds everything. We want to be clear, is it a differential or, in fact, is it a comorbid or a consequence of how a young person is coping with their difficulty? You will see at the bottom of the slide there, this is a quote from one of my colleagues, um, Professor Andrew Channon, who has done much of this work in um, Australia around early BPD in young people. And Andrew would say that a history of trauma is neither sufficient nor necessary for a diagnosis of BPD. And here he's, he's reminding us that we will meet young people with BPD who do not have a, any history of trauma. And the flip side, we will meet young people with quite significant trauma histories who do not have BPD. And again, if I come back to for a moment, young uh, girls with undiagnosed ASD, they will often have a history of trauma. Things will have gone quite be quite difficult in their lives. And you can see how that might head you down the path of thinking it is BPD, particularly with self-harming behaviours. And maybe I might add a couple of things about, again, the, the differentiation between ASD and BPD. So both can present with self-harming behaviours. Both can describe difficulties with relationships, but the young person with undiagnosed ASD will have had these difficulties with making and keeping friendships from primary school, right from get-go, a long-standing difficulty. The both will have emotional dysregulation. The young person with ASD, it looks more like a meltdown. A young person is overwhelmed with whatever is going on. For them, the stresses, there is too much, and they have this major meltdown. That is not what we see with young people with BPD. And I think another thing that is useful, that uh, idea of, of um, uh, sorry, I've just had a lost my word. Um, that abandonment, that's what I was going to come to, when that idea of, well, if somebody leaves you and then it all, you know, things start to fall apart. For the young person with ASD, it's not so much a fear of abandonment, but it may well be that that person was really significant in scaffolding for that young person. And without them, actually, an important support is gone and that young person can't manage. Just some things to bear in mind. When we're looking at management, having gotten from a young person the areas that are problematic for them, 
then I think we need to think about how do we target those areas with our intervention. So how do we help with the risk-taking and the consequences, which is really the consequences of the instability for them, the instability of relationships and sense of self and being able to manage. And the risk, there are a whole lot of adverse outcomes potentially that I think all of you will be well familiar with. There is the drug use, there is the poor relationships or destructive relationships, unintended pregnancies, there is the school disengagement, and then continues with difficulties in the workplace also. Um, the physical risk or physical things for us to think about is these young women who perhaps are drinking, smoking, taking drugs and not really able to care for themselves or make good decisions for their physical health. And of course, the problem very much so for young people with BPD is that their psychological, the co-occurring mental health problems are easily missed. So sometimes we have to also go, so is it BPD and anxiety and depression? and a brief psychosis that need intervention in their own right. The social interpersonal difficulties, how can young people learn um, about relationships and what healthy relationships look like? Because what they have often experienced is indeed uh, relationships that are dysfunctional, where there is a lot of or maybe a lot of criticism, a lot of blame, a lot of dismissiveness in the relationship with key caregivers. And here we, we come back to this idea of attachment that we would have talked about in an earlier setting. And again, what happens when they enter a workforce and the difficulty for them occupationally and more broadly functionally. What's our place? Our place with this very young cohort that all of you see is how can you be that trusted adult, the person that a young person can explore some of these difficulties with? You know, does that, does, uh, that approach, does that work within your setting, whether it be you're the GP or the nurse within a school setting who can help walk alongside a young person, who can help them think about the consequences of some of the things that, that are happening for them, but also steer them towards um, uh, interventions that are going to be helpful.